The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. Nice to see all of you. Um, we're starting a, a new series tonight, and it's called Expectations. I think that's what it's called. Um, not danger expectations, but expectations. <laughs> But it's a good sign because it has the word on it. Um, anyway, we're doing a series on expectations, and we're going to do it in three parts. Uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, expectations of yourself, and then the next two weeks we'll talk about expectations of other people and expectations of God. Um, so that's kind of where we're coming from tonight. But before we get into it, I, uh, I'm curious if anybody out there, do you guys watch a lot of TV during the summer? Yeah? What do you watch? Just random. Is there any particular shows? Anybody? What? Shark Week. Nice. Yeah. What's up? Community. Okay. Good one. Well, yeah. I uh, I love to watch TV. Um, there's not a lot of great shows on during the summer, but there's one in particular that um, I like a lot. Excuse me. I just realized I have gum in my mouth. Sorry. That's really impolite of me. Um, there's one show in particular that I really like. It's called Breaking Bad. You guys ever heard of this show? Anybody watch it with any regularity? Two, three people. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who don't know this show, um, I can't officially recommend it because it's a very like dark show. There's a lot of drug dealing and violence in it. <laughs> but it's Emmy nominated and won Emmys, or not Emmys, uh, Emmys for best TV show a couple of times. So whatever they say must be kind of true. Um, but it's a story of this guy named Walter. And uh, Walter is this brilliant chemist who had this really promising career, but then something happens and he winds up, he's teaching uh, high school chemistry. And it's this job that's like just super boring for him, and his life in general is kind of boring. And so the, se- the first season picks up, and you, you get to meet Walter, and you find out that um, he's just been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, and that he has like months to live. And so you kind of, you start to show off, and you're like, man, like that sucks. And you're feeling for this guy, and you're like, what is he going to do? And, of course, his family, he's got a wife and a son, and they're like, you need to get treatment. We need to fight this as much as we can. And he's like, no, I don't want to fight it because it's probably not going to work, and if I die, you're going to be left with a bunch of debt. But his family's like, no, 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 you're going to do it. So he ends up agreeing to fight this cancer, right? But what his family doesn't know is that he had to fund it, to fund the treatment, he decides that he's going to start making drugs and making a bunch of money that way, because he's this really brilliant chemist, and he can make this awesome product that people will pay a lot of money for. And so the show kind of follows him as he descends into this really, like, dark world of drugs and violence. And it's really intriguing on a lot of levels, but one of the things I like about it the most is that it's one of those shows that you watch and you go, what would I do in that situation? Because you totally identify with him right away. You're like, man, this guy's got cancer, and he's got a family. What's he going to do? He can't afford it. And so at first you're like, oh, I really, I want him to succeed. And even though he's breaking the law, like, I'm still rooting for him. And so you find yourself identifying with this guy who's doing not good things. <laughs> and the show goes on and it continue, you continue to kind of root for him despite the fact that he becomes um, a lot of bad things. So I, I think it's an interesting show because it forces you to ask yourself, what would I do? Can I, can I identify with that at all? And I think it's really easy for us in this room, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that none of you have been in that situation before, 
But for me, it's easy to look at that and go, oh, I would never do that. I would never break the law like that. I would never get into making drugs or anything illegal like that. But it's really easy for me to say that because I've never been put in that situation, right? It's really easy for us to look at any situation that we, we've never really been in and to think that we would be better than most people in that situation, right? You see it on the news. You see somebody who got, you know, arrested for stealing something or kidnapped someone or even killed someone, and you're like, I would never do that. You, you ascribe yourself this high standing. You have these expectations of yourself that you would never do that. And what I want to talk about tonight is what happens when, not necessarily to the extent of breaking bad or to killing someone, but what happens when you find yourself not living into those expectations? What happens when you let yourself down in, a, in some way and you do that thing that you thought you'd never do? That's what I want to talk about today. So before we get into it, um, let me pray. God, thank you for tonight. Uh, I ask that we would be able to be honest tonight, um, that you would meet us here and that um, we would be able to encounter you in a way that is um, encouraging, God, in the midst of um, what could be a really serious topic. So be with us tonight, um, be with me, and uh, we love you. Amen. Okay, so self-expectations. What happens when you let yourself down? Before we get there, I think it's good to start the conversation off with where do our expectations come from, right? Um, because we don't, we're not just born with this idea of who we should be, right? We're born into a culture that tells us these are the things you should strive for, right? Our culture today, I mean, among other things, you guys could probably complete this list, but we're probably born into thinking, you know, um, wealth is a good thing. That's an expectation you should have for yourself. You want to be rich. You want to be pretty. You want to be um, powerful, successful. You want to be famous, right? And we're born into this culture that says these are the things you should value, and these are the things that you should hold yourself to. And some of these things, I think, are fine. It's not a bad thing, necessarily, to be wealthy, to be in a position of power. But we all know how easily these things can be corrupted and how easily a pursuit to uh, take care of yourself and to look good can become an obsession and can turn into something that's damaging to your body, right? We all know how that works. We all know how power can be so easily turned into something bad. And so while I don't think the expectations we get from our culture are necessarily bad, they can be. But at some point, we start to own these expectations, and we make them our own. And we say, okay, I, I want to be successful. I want to be wealthy. I want to be powerful. I want to be good-looking. And so we pursue these things. So that's kind of the, the main source, I think, of, of um, our self-expectations, right? And then there's, I think, another source that a lot of us in this room have, and that is our faith. Um, I think if we're in this room tonight, it's probably because at some level we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he was who he says he was, and there's something in him that we want and that we want to follow him, right? And if you look at who he was, you see clearly that his, his expectations of who we are are pretty different from what our culture tells us we should be. Right, and I think this is really um, clearly illustrated uh, in this in Mark chapter 10, um, verse 35. If you have your Bible, feel free to read along. But it's just a good conversation, I think, that gets at this kind of dichotomy of what the expectations are um, from the world and what the expectations are from Jesus. It starts in verse 35. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? I'm going to read. This is NRSV. What is it you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. 
So basically, like, hey, can we uh, can we be up front with you when all this stuff goes down and you're kind of like recognized as this awesome dude? Can we like be there with you? And he kind of has this conversation with him. Basically, says like, that's not mine to grant. But then um, the other disciples, the other ten disciples, hear about this and they start to get really upset with James and John because they're like well, who are you to think that you deserve to be up there and not us? We're all just as good as you are. And so they start to get this argument. And then, um, so they became angry with James and John. And then, so Jesus calls them over and he says this. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, which are kind of like everyone but the Jews, um, lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we get this clear picture from Jesus that the expectations he has for us are very different from the cultural ones. He's saying, look, if you, you, know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be the least. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be um, powerful, you need to be the most powerless. Right? And this is a very, I mean, he's basically taking what we thought we wanted, and he's turning it right upside down, like he always does in that great and frustrating way. <laughs> so what I love about this is it, it, it sets us up to kind of go, okay, so what am I striving for then? And that's something I want us all to consider. What are we striving for? What are the expectations we have for ourselves? Where are they coming from? Are they coming from what the culture says we should be striving for? Power, money, all that stuff. Are they coming from Jesus, which says we should strive to serve in every way? And my encouragement to you is, yes, you should strive to serve in every way. But I know the reality is all of us are not there. If, we, if this is to be said as some kind of a spectrum, we're all somewhere in between these two ends, right? I mean, some of us are really trying, some of us are not, but in some way we're all living into both sets of expectations. And that's okay. Wherever you are, I, I don't know where you are, but we're all there in some way. None of us are that far ahead of each other, I can promise you that. Um, so consider where you're at on that. And then think about this. As you're striving toward this set of expectations that Jesus gives us to serve, at some point you're going to fail. We all do. We all will. We all have. We've failed in some way. And what does that say about us? What, what does that mean? What happens when we fail to live into those expectations that are given to us by a culture in Jesus, but then that we own as our own? What happens when we don't meet those? I've, I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of a guy named Chap Clark. He's this really smart guy. Does a lot of stuff with uh, Young Life, I think. Wrote a book called Hurt and Hurt 2.0. I recommend it. It's a really interesting look at what adolescents are going through today. And I read it, and I know I identified with a ton of the stuff that he talked about, and I'm sure you would too. But one of the things that I've heard him speak a lot about is this reality of shame um, that a lot of young people experience when they feel like they have failed. There's just this overwhelming feeling of shame, of, man, I really suck. Um, and the thing about shame is that I don't, I don't believe that's ever what God wants for us. Because shame, shame's different than conviction, okay? See, when I look at the scriptures, when I look at Jesus and his encounters with people who he catches as sinners, he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. To some others, he says, your sins are forgiven, now go and stop sinning. You know, to the woman at the well, he says, you know, I know that the man you're with now is not your husband, and neither was the guy before that, or the guy before that, <laughs> right? He, he's not somebody, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He calls truth into light. 
And he says it as it is. He understands that people sin. But I never see him shame someone for what they do. I never read him going, you're a terrible person. I'm really sorry I ever made you or I ever had a, tried to have a relationship with you. Like, you don't see that. He loves them through and through. He might become angry with them. He might call their sin out. But he never at one point or any shames someone for who they are. So it's interesting to me that that's what we do to ourselves for some reason, right? When I fail, I'm like, man, I am the worst person in the world. I do not deserve to be loved whatsoever. And I'm sure at some point maybe you have experienced that too. But that's not, not what God wants. Shame says, I suck. Uh, conviction, and I think what Jesus would say is, no, you don't suck. What you did sucks. But I still love you, and you're still fully loved, and you're still fully capable. Right? So, if shame isn't what God wants for us, and that's what we tend to go to, why, why does God let us go there? Why are we allowed to fail in the first place? If we're striving to be in the set of expectations that Jesus gives us, why doesn't he just let us get there? And why can't we just be perfect? Paul gets at this really well in 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He's reading, or he's writing to Corinthians, obviously, and he's talking about this physical ailment he's had. And it's, I don't know, some commentary said it was some kind of fever or something. I don't know what it is. But he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, to, to make me perfect, to make me whole again. But he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Maybe you've heard that before. But when I read that, I think that makes absolutely no sense. How can power be made perfect in weakness? How can I be strong when I'm weak? Right? It's totally opposite. <laughs> um, but if you think... You think about this idea of power made perfect in weakness, if, if, of God's power made perfect in weakness. Um, it's, through, it's through our weakness that God reveals himself to us. So imagine when you see, when you see someone who is perfect, you know, who's awesome, and they do something awesome, you think, oh, that makes total sense because they are awesome. But when you see someone who you know is imperfect or yourself who you definitely know is imperfect do something really cool, you think, there's got to be something else going on, right? If you see Usain Bolt run a 9.5 100-meter sprint, you go, yeah, he's Usain Bolt. You see me run a 9.5 100-meter sprint, you're like, that guy is doing something else. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but something else is going on, right? <laughs> Whatever his time was. Um, and I think it's like that with God. When when he uses us imperfect people to do his amazing will, to accomplish his amazing purposes that we can't even fathom, those around us, including him and ourselves, we begin to realize that God is real. We know we can't do it, so there's got to be something else going on. But if we're always able to do everything on our own, if we were perfect in every way and we're able to just accomplish our own goals and to meet our own expectations then we'd have no reason to ever draw close to God. We'd have no reason to ask him for his grace. We'd have no chance to encounter that grace because we wouldn't need it. That's what he's talking about when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My God's grace covers the holes that we leave 
behind us. And that's what this is all getting at. And I know it sounds crazy, (laughs) but it's better for us. It's a much better place for us to be in when we're able to acknowledge the fact that we can't do it. To acknowledge, hey, I'm imperfect. Then for us to just try to act like we're perfect all the time. It's better. Because when we're able to acknowledge, you know, I can't do it. And I need, I need help. When we reach that last kind of line of defense, if you think about it, what do you trust more in this life than anything else? I trust myself, unfortunately, more than anything else. And I know that's not how it's supposed to be. But if I look at my actions, I look at the way I am, it's me that I trust more than anything. And so when I fail myself, when my last line of defense comes down, I have no choice but to fall into the arms of God and to say, I can't. And that's the only time that I will, because if I can stand on my own, why would I ever ask someone for help? (laughs) And it's in those times when we're able to say, look, I can't carry this anymore, that God's right there and he says, hey, I can carry this. And his grace steps in and says, I will take care of this for you. And that's so freeing. Can you imagine that? Not having to be perfect, not having to be everything that everyone asks you to be, to just be who you are, (laughs) as you are. That's what this is about. God says, hey, you're great. I'll take care of the rest. You just keep doing you. Keep moving forward, and I will come behind you and pick up and fill all the potholes that you leave. So tonight, I want to encourage you to consider the expectations you have of yourself. First of all, consider where do they come from. And then second of all, consider, am, are you trying to, to be something that you can't be? Are you trying to be perfect in every way? Where are the areas that you are trying to hold on so tightly to being number one, to being the most powerful, to being the best? I want to leave you guys with two questions. Well, I want you to get into small groups and talk about these two questions together. The first one is, where am I still living into my cultural expectations versus the ones, you know, where am I still trying to be powerful versus where am I trying to serve? And where do I need to align myself more with those expectations we see Jesus give his disciples? Where, am I try- where do I need to align myself more? And then the second question is, where have you seen God work through someone else's or your own imperfections? Have you ever seen God show up in the midst of something that you didn't do perfectly? So get in some groups, like five people, I don't know, and just chat for a few minutes, and then I'll close this out in some prayer.